Thank you, Chris. That song, uh, Whatever My God Ordains is Right, is a song we're actually going to be uh, singing the next few weeks. It's going to be kind of a newer song that we're adding to our repertoire, as it were. It is a, a beautiful truth that whatever God ordains is right, but it's not always easy for us to, to accept that truth, is it? It can at times be very, very difficult. Uh, we need to remember that, but at the same time, we see that we have for us a psalm today that we're going to look at that, that perhaps more accurately reflects what our heart is and what our mind is, where exactly we tend to, tend to be and tend to feel uh, in terms of, of the opposition, the difficulties, the hardships that come our way. And so we look now to Psalm 88. And if you are able, I just ask that you would now, out of respect for God's holy and inspired word, rise. This indeed is God's holy and inspired word. O Lord, God of my salvation, I Cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow every day. I call upon you. O oh Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. As you are, would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this day and we do so with a certain amount of grief in our hearts, grief and brokenness, because this world is so broken. 
21 years ago today, the phrase 9-11 tragically became a part of our lexicon as thousands of people lost their lives at the hands of terrorists who in many ways wounded us all, leaving a scar that this side of glory will never completely heal. We pray especially for those who are directly impacted for this nation as a whole. And we continue to see terrible stories of pain and suffering in the world. Just yesterday at our sister church in the EPC, Second Presbyterian Church of Memphis, Eliza Fletcher, a young mother and teacher, was laid to rest after her tragic abduction and murder. We pray for her family and for that entire congregation. While it's not the subject of of national news reports. We are no strangers to death in our own congregation. These last few weeks alone here at Calvary, two of our members have gone on to glory. While this is better for them, it leaves a gaping hole in our midst. And so we pray for ourselves and for the friends and especially for the families of Betty Vincent and Kurt Cole. Be a comfort to them during this time and a comfort to all of us who mourn the loss of loved ones. Be with us too as we experience concern, fear, worry, anxiety over, over our own health, over the health of loved ones. Bring healing, we pray, should it be your will. And even if it should not, we pray that you would strengthen our faith by your grace, that we might better trust in you throughout all the trials that come our way. May it be so, not just in trials regarding physical health, but be they trials such as our relationships faltering, our jobs becoming too burdensome, our souls falling into depression or confusion. Whenever our faith falters, may we be like the man who cried out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, we pray that you would use this psalm today psalm 88 to help us in that for we ask it in the name of jesus our savior amen well this week we have heard of queen elizabeth's death of course and as i've heard the news of that my mind has turned to england and the wonderful fact that my family was blessed to have been able just months ago actually go to England to spend some time in London. And while we were there, one of my very favorite parts was we got to see a show. Uh, it's one of the greatest stories ever told, I think, and my favorite musical for sure, the show Les Miserables. And my old seminary professor, Brian Chapel, actually speaks of Les Mis and notes how poignant the songs and the stories are within that musical and how the songs of that musical in many ways are a lot like psalm 88 there was a time when men were kind when their voices were soft and their words inviting there was a time when love was blind and the world was a song and the song was inviting there was a time, then it all went wrong. I dreamed a dream in times gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. 
Then I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. And ultimately, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seems. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And perhaps you hear those words and and they're familiar to your own soul. You say, I, I feel kind of like that. I, I feel like that. Perhaps your life once was filled with bright, bright dreams. And now all you see is darkness. We see the psalmist seemingly having this kind of mindset here in Psalm 88. Consider how his complaint begins in verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. That's the grave, the place of the dead. And, and from that point, the psalm only goes downhill, right? That's kind of, a, we've already reached the high point of it. Such a somber and dark tone almost seems unchristian, doesn't it? it? It almost seems unchristian. We feel like and are sometimes even told that if we have Jesus in our life, we, we should have unrestrained joy and unrestrained happiness. We should always have a smile on our face. We, we even teach our children to sing, don't we? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. There you go. Where? Down in my heart, yeah. Yeah. And I'm so happy, so very happy, right? I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. But what do you do when you don't really feel that joy? What do you do when, when you're not so very happy? What do you do when the love of Jesus feels far away? Well, you can do a couple things. One thing you could do is you can just fake it, right? I'm just going to put on a mask. I'm going to pretend, I'm going to try to fool others, fool myself, fool God. Or, the other option, of course, is you can be honest. The psalmist here chooses that route. He goes the honest route. He is brutally honest, perhaps uncomfortably so, and unlike all of the other psalms of lament, in this one, there is no coda at the end that, that includes joyful words of confidence or, or hopeful words of deliverance. In fact, this is the only psalm in the Psalter in which there is no relief. There is no redemption. There is no deliverance. saw in one of my study Bibles a note that said this psalm is the most depressed of all the laments in the Psalter. Another commentator, Derek Kidner, said there is no sadder prayer 
in the Psalter than Psalm 88. And yet it's given to us. It's given to us as part of the Psalter. And we, we look at it, we say that God has given it to us to study, to learn, to grow, to, to be his people, citizens of his kingdom. And so we need to glean something from it. And as my friend Sean Lucas says, what I hope we will find in Psalm 88 is though these emotions of despair can be quite dark, and we feel as though we are in giant despair's grip. There is a greater grip around us yet. The grip of God's grace. And so let's take a look together at this 88th Psalm. Let's take a look and see if we can, we can find God's grace in it. Sometimes, you know, the nuggets of gold are sitting right on top. This is one we have to dig a little bit deeper, though. So let's dig together. Uh, the first place where I think we see God's grace in this psalm, and this one's a little weird. I'm going to admit it. You're going to have to stick with me because it's going to sound awfully strange at first. But the first place I think we see God's grace is this. It's in the fact that the faithful will suffer. I told you it was going to sound weird, right? Okay, this should not come as a surprise to anyone. We all face suffering at times, don't we? John Calvin referred to fallen humanity as, uh, or, or to the fallen humanity and the world in which we live as broken actors performing on a broken stage. And, and that's really where we are. It in, inevitably will lead to suffering. Sometimes we're, we're able to deal with it better than others, and other times it can just be overwhelming. It can be crushing in its weight. If you've ever dealt with severe depression, perhaps the psalmist's description of things here in Psalm 88 is very, very familiar. Consider the terror that he's dealing with in this situation. He feels all alone. Verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. He feels darkness all around. Verse 18 again, my companions have become darkness. Verse 12, are your wonders known in the darkness? In fact, he feels as if he is trapped in a pit. Verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Verse 4, I am counted among those who have gone down into the pit. I am a man who has no strength. He feels as if he is drowning. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse 17, they surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Some of you know that feeling all too well. Just the other day I was watching a movie. It was a movie called The Impossible. It's based on the true life story of a family that went to Thailand for vacation over Christmas in the year 2004. You may recall in 2004, Thailand was hit by a giant tsunami. The story took place basically, they were, they were lounging around the pool the morning after Christmas when the storm came with little to no warning. The tsunami raced across the Indian Ocean at speeds reaching up to 600 miles per hour when finally waves as high as 100 feet tall crashed into the shore 
and ultimately left nearly a quarter of a million people dead. Right? The family there in, in this movie actually ha have talked at length about this, and I, after I watched the movie, I, I looked up some interviews with them, and, and they talked about it and said that, that as the wave came in, that it didn't really look like a wave. It looked like a giant dark wall just closing in on them, ultimately enveloping them, tossing them around, beating them up, pushing them down, overwhelming them. This thought came to mind as I read through Psalm 88. Right? Sometimes life can feel like that. You can feel beaten, you can feel battered, you can feel lost, you can feel trapped, you can feel overwhelmed, you can feel alone, you can feel like you are drowning. And the bad news is here. As Christians, you're not immune from that. I'm not immune from that. We're not immune from that. Right? Don't think that just being a Christian or even being an exemplary Christian, the best of Christians, will give you a free pass. After all, look at Jesus, right? He was perfectly holy in all his ways, righteous in all that he said, thought, and did, and he endured the greatest suffering that anyone has ever endured. And what does he say to us in John 15? Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. And what about the apostle Paul? Right? He who wrote practically half of the New Testament. He who planted churches throughout the world. He who was this great apostle who served God so mightily and wonderfully. What do we read in 1 Corinthians 11 that he experienced? But imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews. Forty lashes last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. If Jesus suffered and if Paul suffered, then I should expect that I will suffer too. And in that fact, there is some grace, some good news, some gospel, right? Because when you suffer, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are lacking in faith. Sometimes people will teach that wrongly, falsely, heretically even. But sometimes people will teach that, that, that if you're having troubles, it's just because you, you don't believe strongly enough. Your faith isn't good enough. You haven't prayed hard enough. You haven't leaned into Jesus enough. That's why you're suffering. Perhaps it's that, but oftentimes it's just we live in a broken world. We are fallen and broken, and the world's fallen and broken, and this is how life is until the Lord returns to set all things right. That can be an encouragement in the midst of our suffering just to know that it's not necessarily our fault. And beyond that, it can also be an encouragement. It can be a help in that it helps to readjust our expectations, right? As William Plummer said, if we knew more of the religious experience of God's people, we should be less apt to think our trials 
peculiar. Now, this in no way is meant to minimize the trials that anybody is experiencing right now. It's not meant to, to say that what you're experiencing isn't really all that bad. No, but isn't it a comfort at times to know that you're not the only one who has gone through this? To know that there are others who have experienced what you're experiencing. To know that there are others who know what it is like, who have felt it, and who are there with you. To know that you are not alone. There is grace in knowing that even the faithful suffer. Second, there's grace in knowing that God is sovereign. Sometimes we like to, uh, well, we feel like we need to, to kind of uh, sugarcoat God's involvement in our suffering. We feel like we have to uh, carefully uh, protect him, as it were, to, to be kind of his attorneys as, as he's there being questioned. And we say things like, well, God doesn't cause our suffering. He, he maybe allows things that happen to us. But, but even if it comes from a good place where we want to protect God, as it were, he doesn't need our protection. And the psalmist is very clear about that. He feels no compulsion to protect God from blame here. Verses 6 through 8. You have put me in the depths of the pit, into regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Jump to verse 14 through 16. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. And then in verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. The psalmist is very clear about God's responsibility here. He says that God is ultimately sending these things his way. But there is a good news in that as well. There's a good news in that as well, because if God is ultimately responsible for all these things, if he is sovereign over all these things, even the most terrible of our troubles, if he is sovereign over them, then he can do something about them. He is able, right? If, if he's not sovereign over them, then it's just a dice roll. It's a coin flip as to whether or not he can do something about them. But he is sovereign. When we pray to God, when we cry out to God, when we, when we scream to God in the darkness, to help us. We are not just wishing upon a star. We're not just rubbing a rabbit's foot or crossing our fingers. We are not just hoping against hope. We are crying out to the one who made the heavens and the earth. The one who, who is the author of history. The one who controls all things. And yes, the one who ultimately works all things together for our good. That's why the psalmist and we can continue to cry out to God. And when we do, we can see him as the Lord, the God of our salvation. A third thing, third area where we find grace in this very dark psalm. It's in the fact that just because there is no immediate answer to prayer, that does not mean we should stop praying. Right? Note how the psalmist repeatedly cries out to God here. He begins, verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. 
Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Then verses 3 through 8, he talks about all these rotten things that are happening. And then he comes back. Verse 9, every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Then more rotten things. Verse 13 again, but O Lord, I cry, I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. The psalmist endures very real trials, very real trauma, very real difficulties, yet he continues to call out to the Lord. God may at times and for a season remove or withdraw a felt sense of his presence from us. And we don't always understand why. Perhaps as with Job, there is something way beyond what we could possibly fathom going on. Or perhaps it is so that we might feel the weight of our sin and our lostness apart from him so that we might know that we have no other place to which we can turn it's like peter said to jesus lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life if there's nowhere else we can turn to to have salvation there's no better place to be than fully dependent upon god so he commands us in first thessalonians 5 16 pray without ceasing and in our unison scripture reading today jesus told that parable right that 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 had the effect that they ought to pray and not lose heart prayer doesn't always produce quick answers it doesn't always even ultimately produce the answers we want God's timing is different than ours. His purposes are different than ours. His viewpoint is different than ours. His ways are different than ours. But we can be sure of this. If you are in Christ, God is your loving Father who has taken you as his own child and God who is a God of justice and of mercy and of steadfast love will be for you ultimately. Beyond that, in Romans 8, we read that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. That's Hebrews 7, 25. And so we can continue to pray, even when our prayers aren't immediately answered. There is grace in that. For a fourth reason that there is grace in this dark psalm i like this one a lot <laughs> this psalm tells us that it's okay to complain it's okay to complain right don't you like that really i mean let's be honest we like to complain the psalm tells us it's okay to complain god gave us this psalm Brian Chappell says at least part of the grace has to be that this is not a forbidden psalm. The father allows his son to complain, and there's a grace in that. The key to it is this, though, I think. It's not so much a complaining about God, but a complaining to God, right? It's not complaining, oh, I can't believe God did this to me, but rather going face to face with God. And say, God, this is where my heart is. This, is. this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. I know who you are. I know you're God. I know I want to come to you here. But, but man, I'm not liking what I see. 
it doesn't feel very good. It doesn't really seem like you love me right now. God can take that. He, in fact, I think, encourages it here. Now, now, be sure this is one psalm. There are 150 psalms. That shouldn't be the steady diet of our prayers. But there is a place for it. And God can handle it. You can pour out your heart before God. You can be honest. You don't need to put a mask on. We do that often, don't we? We put on our Sunday best or, uh, you know, before we have people over, we for sure clean up our house, right? If, if we're going to post a picture on social media, we make sure we get the lighting right and the angles right. I got to get it okay. And, you know, and it, everything's got to be perfect, right? Because we wouldn't want somebody to see us, you know, as we actually are. We want to put ourselves in the best possible light. We want everything to be perfect. But God knows how we are. He already sees us as we are, so we don't need to pretend. We don't need to, to make believe before him. Right? And, and Psalm 88 acknowledges that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. It, it acknowledges that things are broken. It acknowledges that, that because of sin, things are wrong, and that should cause us to hate sin especially and primarily in, in ourselves, but just sin in general. Right? It's on account of sin that things don't always work out. People die. We're afflicted with disability and disease. Marriages end, businesses fail. Financial troubles assail us. Emotional difficulties overwhelm us. Families are splintered even for the most faithful of people. The fact that we have a prayer like Psalm 88 in the pictures of Scripture shows us that God understands. He understands. He knows how it feels when we are desperate. He, he knows how we speak. And he's willing to listen. Sometimes we just need somebody to listen. I think women are better at that than men are. I know my wife's a lot better than I am at it, right? Just... When we have a problem, I think men tend to say, well, let's fix it. Let's do this. Okay, you've got this problem. Let's get to work. Let's do this, you know. Whereas sometimes what we just need is somebody to hear us, to hear what our problems are, to hear what our heart is, to know us, to know who we are, to understand what we're feeling. God is willing to listen. Sometimes we just need somebody to listen and not to judge, not to get offended, not to, not to have their feelings hurt, not to become defensive. Just listen and understand. And that's the fifth grace in this psalm. God understands. He identifies with our suffering. And he identifies with it through the person of Christ Jesus who has taken on human flesh, who has walked the proverbial mile in our moccasins. He has entered into our broken and fallen world. He has endured the human experience, and in that he has seen all that we see. Right? He, he has endured disappointment. He has received heartbreaking news. He has lost loved ones. He has wept tears of grief and sorrow. He has experienced betrayal. He has sensed physical pain. He has felt completely abandoned and alone he has tasted even death and all of this without sin hebrews 4 tells us he we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but without sin, so that we can without, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace and may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Right? But, but the incarnation of Christ wasn't just so he could become relatable, right? That was part of it, sure. But there's far more to that than that. It wasn't just so he could experience all of our experiences. It was ultimately so he could defeat death on our behalf. Right? Did you catch verses 10 through 12, those rhetorical questions that the psalmist asked? The psalmist is essentially making an argument here against God. He's hoping it's going to win the day. Have you ever tried that? You ever try arguing with God? It usually doesn't go very well, but he, he argues with God, essentially asks them these questions. He says, I, essentially, I want to be an instrument of your work, God. I want to proclaim your glory. I want to praise you. I want to declare your steadfast love and faithfulness, your wonders and your righteousness. But if I'm dead, I can't do that. Right? And so he asks these rhetorical questions. But God has something else in, in mind. right? He asks him in verses 10 through 12, do do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Are your wonders known in the darkness? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes, they are. Right? Because Jesus hung on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He was despised and rejected by man, man a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. You see, he entered into the darkness. He entered into the pit. He entered into complete loneliness and forsakenness. He entered into even death that we might not need to. Right? He, he entered into and through his death, though we might feel forsaken by God, we need never actually be forsaken by God. And so he says in verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. I like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your head. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. We see these fulfilled in Christ Jesus more than anywhere else. As Joel Beakey says, as a result, though we may feel abandoned by God, the Lord will never truly forsake the believer. This is his promise i will never leave you nor forsake you and if god is as honest as he has been with us about the darkness in this psalm then we can be absolutely sure that he will be honest with us when it comes to the light and his promise is that he will be with us so even when we can't understand and when we can't fathom what he is possibly doing we can be sure that he indeed is able to be trusted. He is our sure and steady anchor, even amidst the greatest 
of life's storms, against the fiercest of the waves that would hit us, so we can trust in him, and in that is the greatest grace of all. Would you pray with me once more? Oh Lord, we do thank you for your grace, even when we have to find it amidst the darkness. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and give us faith that endures, faith that trusts in you. Give us the confidence to even be able to share with you our doubts, our fears, our worries, our anxieties, our troubles, and our pain. For you are the God who hears, the God who loves, and ultimately the God who sets all things to right. And so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. Print it in your bulletin, you'll find the hymn.